is it you haven't seen the Godfather? Have you seen Taxi Driver? Have you seen The Man Who Shot Ricky Brown? Have you seen Network? I've seen Twelve Angry Men. Hello and welcome to another episode of FilmWise, also known as the Why Haven't You Seen This Film podcast. My name is Bubba Wheat, and here with me today is Jay Cluett. How are you doing today, Jay? Very well, thank you, Bubba. Nice to be here. Okay, and then before we get into our movies for today, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell the people where they can find you online and all that? Okay, I write for my own site at uh, lifeversusfilm.com, versus is just VS. Uh, I, I'm reviewing, I spend most of my time reviewing the films from the 1001 movies you must see before you die list, as well as a few other lists, uh, top 500s and such. And I occasionally do new releases and uh, a top 10 list every Friday or Saturday. Uh, yeah, I'm basically trying to build up my own film uh, knowledge in a similar way to you are. <laughs> Sounds good. And then, of course, I've got some questions for you, so we we can get a taste of your movie likes and dislikes and whatnot. So, what are three movies that you've seen the most often and haven't gotten tired of? Okay, the first one would be my uh, my favorite film and what what I believe to be the greatest film ever made, which is Jurassic Park. I've seen that film. I have no idea how many times, possibly hundreds, and it never gets boring. I, I if it's just if it's on on TV, if it gets put onto the into the DVD player, I just have to stop what I'm doing and pay attention because I'll I'll do that anyway. If I try and keep writing while someone's watching it, I'll just my laptop will close and I'll just be fixated. I love Jurassic Park. I, yeah. I love I love dinosaurs just as, <laughs> as a general as a general rule. But it's there's something about that film. It, there's so many great lines, so many great moments, so many great characters. And yeah. the book is also great. I can highly recommend that too. It's been a while since I've seen that one, but it's one of my favorites too. It, it seems like a lot of people have been talking about it lately too, especially since the uh, the 3D re-release. I've been yeah. really wanting to to catch it again, but I haven't gotten I, around to it yet. I didn't go to the the 3D release because I just, I hate 3D, <laughs> um, so I, I'm I'm happy, I'm happy to watch it at home. Just yeah, you know. I'm with you there. I, I I've avoided 3D so far. I've had to sit through a few where it wasn't an option, and never again. <laughs> I can avoid it. Uh, my my second film would be Finding Nemo, which is it's not my favorite Pixar film. That would be Wall-E, but Finding Nemo I've seen more, just because it's a little bit older, and uh, my girlfriend's a massive fan of, of Finding Nemo. And same again as Jurassic Park. There's some great characters there, and some great moments. It's a, a amazing cast, and the animation is flawless. They had one of my favorite facts about it is they had to. Uh, reduce the quality of the animation because it looked too real. The, under, <laughs> the underwater effects. I love that. that that's just possible. Yeah, that, that's great. That it, it's. Uh, I know that's starting to be a problem a little bit with the. Uh, they call it the uncanny valley. Yes. Which isn't so much with to do with the backgrounds, but usually the human characters. But Finding Nemo is really a great movie. It's it's one of my favorites. Uh, uh, Pixar movies as well, and, and I I probably would say that Wally is also my all-time favorite. Excellent. That's yeah. Wally is in my top three films of all time. <laughs> and then I I also love on Finding Nemo the the DVD menu. Oh yeah. <laughs> that, that every time I I load up the DVD I have to at least go through the uh, the back and forth. Uh, 
between Al Brooks and uh, Ellen DeGeneres at least one time the whole way through. It's, it's so well cast. They've got the spot on perfect voices for that. And just the, the whole fish tank gang. Uh, oh, that film was perfect. I love it. And, and, uh, and a, Jeffrey Rush, the Pelican. What more do you need? And my, Where's uh, my I, trailer? I need water. Fill my trailer <laughs> with water. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and my, my third film is probably a, a more, uh, less obvious choice, and it would be Armageddon, which many people believe to be a terrible film, and they are all wrong, <laughs> because it's it's hugely enjoyable. I, I I'm not a fan of Michael Bay. I make that clear now. Uh, this is one of the very few films of his I like. Uh, the, the other one being The Rock, but Armageddon I have seen I don't know how many times. It used to be in my top ten for a, a long time as a child. It it's it's one long Aerosmith video. I'll give you that, but I like Aerosmith, <laughs> so I'm fine with that. And it's, See, that, that's it, probably that's probably one reason why I haven't watched that because yeah. I hated that song <laughs> when it came out and and the the song is so connected with the movie for me that it's like every time I I hear that song which thankfully doesn't happen very often anymore but I, I have heard it probably maybe a couple months ago and it, it just it's like oh I hate this song. <laughs> Well, any scene, any film that's got uh, Steve Buscemi riding uh, a nuclear warhead, <laughs> uh, mimicking Doctor Strangelove, is just yeah, I'm happy with that film. And so it's yeah, another great cast. It's implausible. It's ridiculous. <laughs> sending oil diggers into space to destroy a, a, a meteor, but I don't care. It's it's just leave your brain at the door fun, and I'm, I'm, sometimes that's just what you need. Yeah. I'm, I would imagine that, that I might I might like it once I finally get around to it. I'll just maybe fast forward through the part where the song comes on or, or mute yeah. it or something. It's on like a couple of points, but it, it's a long film, so it's probably on 1% of the film is that song. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not one that you desperately need to see, and it's not one you need to pay attention to. Cause it's, quite <laughs> long, it's quite a long film. This is a good two and a half hours, I think. Um, but yeah, yeah give, it, give it a go sometime. All right. And then what's your favorite movie that you've only seen once? This is a great question. Um, never been asked this one before. And that makes it almost impossible to answer because there's also <laughs> films I've only seen once because they haven't come out on DVD yet. Or on my journey through the various lists I'm doing, I've got to them once and I've reviewed them fairly recently. Uh, so I'm going to leave it a toss-up between uh, Casablanca and Brief Encounter. Both of which I saw for the first time last year. I think Casablanca has been discussed it before, so I'll focus on Brief Encounter, which is the David Lean uh, uh, film based on these two two people who kind of fall into having an affair with one another. Kind of. Uh, it's it's a very very slow, but it's brilliantly portrayed, and it, it's just a very moving film to watch. And I I've only seen it once because I haven't had a chance to buy it on DVD yet since I saw it, and I, I very much look forward to doing so. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't actually even heard of that one before. Wait, what year is that one? Uh, it's quite an old film. It's a very, very British film. It's possibly <laughs> the most British film ever made. Um, it, there's very, there's a lot of drinking tea. Hang on, I'm just looking it up. Uh, there's a lot, look, yeah, a lot of drinking tea, a lot of uh, moping about at train stations. And <laughs> 1945, it was made, mm. uh, and it's, it stars Celia Johnson and Trevor Howard, um, who I've not seen anything else. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a very good film. It's another short film, so like less than an hour and a half long. So yeah, I, I'd add it to your list of future episodes, and I'll I'll, <laughs> glad, I'll gladly come back and discuss it if you want. <laughs> yeah, that, that might be a good idea. Uh, aside from uh, even though I made this the 
to watch movies that practically everyone's heard of. It's it's nice to throw in a movie that to kind of introduce people to as well. Yeah, but it, it's yeah, it's it's highly regarded. So, yeah. All right, and then what's your favorite superhero movie? Uh, I would say there's a lot of good ones. But I'd probably go with Iron Man. Um, just because I love the character. Uh, he's yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is perfect casting. I think we've discussed this on a podcast before. Um, yeah. And yeah, he's <laughs> just great in the role, and it's it's kind of as realistic as a superhero film needs to be in that it's kind of semi plausible in certain regards. Maybe not when you come to Iron Man three with the weird um, heat fire breathing people, but <laughs> yeah. the the first one definitely uh, is. Probably my favorite origin story of any film. Yeah, I would say that. I was just about to say that as well. That it's it's probably my favorite origin story, even though it doesn't. Even though there's a couple other superhero movies that overall I like better. Yeah. Okay, and um, it's it's funny as well. I, I like my I like big action blockbusters to have a good vein of humor running through them. Yeah, and that definitely has that. Mainly from Downey Jr. But also John Favreau's background as the director. He's got a lot of kind of comedic on his side. Yeah. And then uh, what would you say is your favorite genre of movies? Uh, the genre that I watch the most is probably children's films. But that's because <laughs> of, of my girlfriend's a massive fan of children's films. And she gets to pick films as often as I do when I jump around a lot. But in terms of personally, um, it's a very niche genre of uh, prison escape films. <laughs> uh the Shawshank Redemption was my favourite film for a long time growing up, and The Great Escape still is one of my favourite films. And when you add in um, things like uh, A Man Escaped, which is a French film, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Papillon, it's a very niche genre, but I seem to like every kind of prison escape film I, I've seen. Um, I don't know why. I, I couldn't pinpoint <laughs> why that is. I think it's it might be to do with like uh, how the elements all need to kind of be lined up and... Uh, uh, just put together properly and everything needs to work like cogs in a machine kind of thing just to get the escape going. And so I like heist films as well, so a similar kind yeah. of thing like uh, Inside Man where it's it's the plan. Yeah, I was just about to ask that. Like uh, Ocean's Eleven is one that comes to Yes, mind. exactly, yeah, where it's it's clever, it's ingenious how it all works together and I, I like that aspect of the plots. Yeah, I've, uh, I would say that as well. Like, like Ocean's Eleven is one of my favourite movies and then I also like um, revenge stories whenever they kind of have this elaborate plot that that works out. That's kind of the the same same sort of thing of of what you're talking about. Like uh, last week, um, which hasn't that I recorded with Dylan, which hasn't came out yet as we're talking about this, but with the Punisher, the Thomas Jane one that has kind of a similar. Uh, thread throughout the movie where it's just this revenge plan that he carries out and it's really ingenious and all the the cog like you said the cogs have to fit into place just the right way for it to work out yeah. and it does and and another one like that is payback okay i'll i'll, I'll have a look at that one i've not seen that one uh, it's, that. It, it's a fun movie it's although anymore it, it seems like you it's easier to find the director's cut of Payback, but I actually prefer the theatrical cut okay, in that I'll, case. I'll add it to my queue. <laughs> All right, and then uh, lastly, what what would you say is your biggest film-wise, a movie that you ask yourself, why haven't I seen this yet? I have 
an awful lot of these. <laughs> That's why I'm doing the various lists. Uh, probably the biggest one I've got would be Singing in the Rain, which I have people that don't know anything about films that find it um, impossible that I haven't seen that one. <laughs> um, but it, I have no reason why I haven't seen it. I've been to the Universal Studios tour where they tell you how it was made so i know how the film was made haven't seen it i i've had it on dvd since last christmas haven't seen it yet no reason just haven't put it in um yeah but i i i don't know i just haven't got around seeing it. i i it's not like i don't ha- i don't hate musicals i'm not biggest fan of them but yeah. i'll gladly watch some of them it's about movie making itself so I should love it, and I, I'm sure I will. Maybe it's because it's so widely regarded that I just haven't got around to it yet. I, I'm scared to be disappointed. And I know I, I really loved it, and and especially the uh, the make them laugh scene is amazing. And and uh, I don't know if you saw whenever Joseph Gordon Lovett did it somewhat recently on SNL. He went he did through that routine on there, and it was yeah. great seeing that again. I haven't seen that routine. We don't we don't get SNL over here. I think uh, if, we, if we do, I don't have the channel that it's on. But uh, I haven't seen that. I'll have a look for it. See if it's on YouTube, um, unless, unless it spoils the film. Yeah, it was it was pretty popular whenever it came out. It's it's neat. Uh, definitely look it up maybe after you watch the film. Okay. Okay, we'll do. But yeah, that's a, that's a good mo- good movie to watch. One one of the few classics I have seen. Yeah. <laughs> um. And then, it's on all the various lists that I'm doing, so I'll, yeah. I'll, def- I'll definitely be getting to it soon. The movie that that you asked me about today is Twelve Angry Men, and so I put it out to my audience on Twitter and Facebook. What is your courtroom drama, film-wise? And uh, interestingly enough, the the first two that we got back, uh, Denosaurus on. Twitter, it's at DFH underscore one, said, also said 12 Angry Men, though I did read the play in high school. And Stephen Gagney, uh, who is at Two Flower, who I had a guest a couple episodes ago, also said 12 Angry Men, haven't seen any version of it. So I'm, I'm in good company here. And then <laughs> on Facebook, uh, Dylan Fields from Man I Love Films, who was my guest last week, Said, I still want to see the verdict. That'll and be mine. I've, I've never seen the verdict. That's definitely mine. And if if you want to join in on the discussion, uh, be sure to follow me on Twitter at BubbaWheat, and I'll ask the questions before I record, and I will read your answers here on a later episode. All right. So, like I said, the the movie that you had me watch was Twelve Angry Men. My friends, I'm not given to wild, unsupported statements. How can I be positive about anything? Be reasonable. I don't understand you people. I mean, all these picky little points you keep bringing up, they don't mean nothing. In one tragic moment... The awesome power to kill will suddenly be thrust into your hands. But there was one survivor. I'm just saying it's possible. And I say it's not possible. Okay, it's uh, Sidney Lumet's uh, film directorial debut, uh, 1957. He'd made some TV work beforehand, but nothing I'm familiar with, and 
ever since he's gone on to make some uh, some classics like Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, Network, and and The Verdict, <laughs> the aforementioned. Uh, it was nominated for um, Best Director, Best Film, and Best Adapted Screenplay, but it lost out on all of those to Bridge on the River Kwai, which I can't really argue with, because that's another great film. Um, it, it's basically the story of 12 angry men. Uh, it's a jury we, who are... We begin the film as they enter into their, their the juror's room, and they are deciding on the case of uh, uh, the murder of a man by his young son, supposedly. And... All the evidence seems to point towards the the young boy's guilt, but when they do the initial vote in the in the jury, uh, eleven men say guilty and one man, juror number eight, played by Henry Fonda, he says uh, he's not guilty, or rather he says he has reasonable doubt to believe that he there is a chance that he might not have done it, which is what the what the verdict is all about is whether it's definite or there is a possible chance. And throughout the course of the film, he. Uh, pokes holes in lots of the evidence and slowly wins over the rest of his jurors one by one to to reach a unanimous verdict at the end <laughs> and I, I really like this film uh, I saw it first time a few uh, five or six years ago at the recommendation of someone else and I, I just watched it once and loved it um, it's it's gripping the, the it, it's not very action heavy well, it's not action heavy at all because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's literally just 12 men for the most part sitting in a room talking to one another but mm-hmm. the amount of, of variety of the shots and involved it it just keeps you enthralled for the, the hour and a half that it runs um, what, uh, what, did, what did you think? Yeah, I, I I really enjoyed it I I, I thought well, but before going into this movie I would say that uh, Next to maybe Jaws, I probably knew the most about this movie going into it as any other movie. It was featured on uh, Folk's Movie Reviews, a movie that everyone should see. And even before I started this podcast, I I put it on my own little watch list as a a reminder to to seek this out sometime in the future. And I I knew that it, it was pretty much just an hour and a half in in a jury deliberation room, which is twelve people and and nothing else, uh, I knew about the uh, the way the shots differed. Uh, he changed the focus throughout the movie to make he lowered the camera angle, yeah, right, to make it feel more claustroph- claustrophobic. And I knew that at the beginning it was eleven guilty votes to one not guilty votes, and then through the course of the movie. Uh, people change their minds one by one until it's a uh, unanimous not guilty verdict. But it's, uh, it's really interesting to see what can be done in just a single room by changing the placement of the camera. And even though it's just 12 people sitting in a room, there's a lot of movement yeah. that I notice. It's not a big room either. It's it's just big enough for the table and a little corridor around either side of it. So it's and then it's two not quite in the back. Yeah, they've got the bathroom at the back and then the door out into the hallway. That that's it. That's all you've got. And just the amount that they do with such a limited space is amazing. Yeah, with people taking off their coats and <laughs> going up to the window and putting their coats back on. Yeah, and playing with the fan. Uh, yeah, there's uh, that. 
when everyone's talking, no one kind of sits still. No one, everyone's always doing something. And yeah. in, in the background of every scene, no, no one has just sat there listening. Everyone's, everyone's active. I'd say probably the the two main characters, which uh, I do think it was great that even though there is twelve uh, jurors in this, and, and none of them are are really given names, I think. A few of them, you do find out their name through the course yeah. of the movie, but they're all mainly just referred to as their juror numbers. Yes, which which I love because uh, that's all that's all that's important to each other is, is that they're in the same jury. Names don't really matter. You find that the background of each character plays a part, like where they all come from, what they do for a living, uh, what their their personal experiences are. That kind of helps in their decision making process. But names, no, not important. And there are also twelve very distinct characters. Yes, they're they're all interesting and, and different in their own way. And I, I thought I thought that was great. There was even though there there is kind of two main characters. There's Henry Fonda's juror number eight, who is basically the the leading force towards the not guilty verdict. And then there's juror number three. three. Yeah, Lee J. Cobb. And he is. Basically, the the strongest case for the guilty verdict, and is of course the the last person to change his vote at the end of the movie. Yes, and um, you've got Joe number ten, quite a big character as well. He's the kind of the, the bigoted. He has the that nice rant scene near the end. Where, yeah, um, yeah, I thought I thought that was a great scene by itself. Uh, although one one thing that I, I noticed about this because the slight thread of, of racism that's prominent, especially in that scene, and it pops up a little bit here and there. But the thing that kind of disappointed me was at the beginning of the movie, you do see the 18-year-old kid. Yeah. And he does not look... He looks pretty white to me. They're, they're, it's black and white, so maybe he's Hispanic. I think uh, they kind of described him as being... Not Caucasian, but they left uh, exactly what it was up to the imagination of everyone else. So right, but yeah. I I think it it would have been even better if we hadn't seen him at all. And yeah, maybe just like a silhouette in the background or something. I I agree. I personally, I think it should have been the film should have started exactly as they entered the room. Yeah. Um, rather than that, there's three minutes or two and a half minutes beforehand where they're kind of dismissed from the the court and sent in and then there's like 30 seconds after they leave i think the film should start and end as they leave and as, as they enter and as they leave the room personally like yeah, that would have been a bit better I, yeah i agree I, I think the the stuff that the judge conveyed at the beginning could have been just reiterated by the the foreman yes exactly yeah and that would have gotten the, the same point across and then we also would have gotten a lot better i think Especially now, the the impact of the racism would be a bit stronger. Although, I do think that uh, since it is very brief at the beginning, like I I had to go back after I I I had heard that that the racial prejudice did play a part in this movie, but uh, I had forgotten about that. So after the movie, I went back to, to take a look at the, the kid. Cause I was thinking that he might've been black. Yeah. Cause, Cause that's obviously the, the biggest kind of race divide in, in us history. But then 
So I was thinking maybe he was black. I'd always seen him as a bit as a bit Hispanic, as you said, but I didn't think he was uh, he was black. But in, interesting, interestingly, I've not seen the uh, the remake, the, the TV remake in '97 by, by William Friedkin, but they've actually got a few uh, uh, black men on the um, on the jury. There's at least uh, three. You've got like Ozzy Davis is on there, and McKelty Williamson, Michael T. Um, so I, I'm interested to see that the remake, just to see if if the race is still so prevalent. The race yeah. issue. That's a rant of his. It was a really powerful scene. Now everybody, just kind of one by one, would just get up and kind of face away from him. Yeah. And he sees yeah. everybody making him realize what he was saying. And I also really liked how most of the holes in in the case were proven by the uh, juror number three. Yes. Yeah. He he turned them on himself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is the knife. This is the knife he stabbed him with. No, no, it's not. Yeah. That that, that was that was a good that's good screenwriting there. And I I, I liked how the. Number ten's rant was ended by juror number four, who was one of my favourite characters, for just like, yes, we heard what you said. Now shut up and don't speak again. <laughs> uh, that's just, yeah. Like uh, you said, all of the, the they had distinct characters, and even the the ones who didn't speak quite as much, they all all the performances in this film are brilliant. Like, uh, there isn't a weak one amongst them. I think possibly juror number nine, the the older guy. I'm, I'm not always on board with his performance. Uh, personally, but every, everyone else I think is perfect, especially uh, number four, and I like number two, the kind of yeah. the Rick, Rick Moranis kind of character. Yeah, uh, the, and the I think prank. it's interesting because he has a very distinctive voice. Yeah. Uh, he was played by John Fiedler, and most people will know him best as Piglet from Winnie the Pooh. I knew I recognized him from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> we, we watched that, I think, like, he has... I know that voice. I know that voice. Uh, yes, that makes a lot of sense now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really great. And and I also, I had a hard time placing him because he looks so different. And he, I think I've seen him most of the time as a as a uh, an older gentleman, but uh, Jack Warden. Um, oh, the, the, number uh, seven, the uh, guy with the hat. Yeah. The, the one that wanted to go to the ball game. Yes. I really love his voice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought he must have been a, a stand-up comedian or something. Cause, um, I don't know if he was or not, but he, he had that kind of character where he was just wisecracking to the entire film and kind of taking the mick out of everyone. But yeah, he was he was great. I liked him. And I, I, he had one of the more interesting kind of changing his vote scenes of he's doing it just because he wants to get out of there. And then you get the, the confrontation between him and number 11, the, the European guy. Yeah. There's just so many great little scenes in this in this film. So many confrontations and rants and monologues. The the script is wonderful. Yeah, and there's so much stuff going on, like the how the the fact that it's the hottest day of the year kind of adds to it. And throughout later on in the movie, you see that they all have sweat stains because <laughs> it is so before. hot. <laughs> Number four, number four doesn't sweat, so he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't sweat until the uh, the one scene where he is confronted. Yes, the marks and then on his you nose. see him pat his head, and then the and whenever it starts storming. 
yeah, that that last twenty minutes or so where you got the the whirring of the fan and the pouring of the rain outside that just increases the tension even more. Yeah, I would say other than the beginning, the only other thing that I didn't think was as strong as it could have been was I wasn't a fan of the uh, uh, how juror number three finally changed his vote at the end. I I thought that was a little bit too melodramatic. Yes, that, I I completely agree. Um, that, that's kind of where they they needed to end the film somehow. They had to have all of them turn against them or be a hung jury. So it just seems like they decided, okay, he'll change his vote now. It it he because he's got his past his his kind of prejudices against the, the case because of his own relationship with his own son. Right. And yeah, I I don't find that bit too believable either. Um, but everything else leading up to that is so good, I can forgive it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can go along with that too. I, and I can't think of a a really more acceptable way to to change it because I I think it wouldn't feel as right if he had sort of a, a weak method to change his vote. Yeah. But I I think that it is so quick. And even though it is set up with his relationship with his son and how he ended at that he was that he sort of became that he was an abusive father because he was wanting to make his son stronger, yeah. but then his son uh, left left him and he hasn't seen him for years. Yeah, and I I liked that, that was kind of that was described at the start and then kind of ignored until the end and it all makes sense. But yeah, it, it it just did seem sudden. Right. Um, maybe it all got too much for him with everyone else turning against him because walking into the room, he it seemed like an open and shut case and he probably was already celebrating in his head that he'd got this uh, kind of vicarious victory over his son. But and then it had all one by one gone against him and he just couldn't see a way out, maybe. I don't know. I'm just making excuses now. But, <laughs> <laughs> but throughout the rest of it, it was... It was definitely a great movie. I'm, I'm glad I finally got around to seeing it. Excellent. Well, I'm I'm happy to have uh, to have given it to you. And uh, my girlfriend hadn't seen it before either, and she watched it, and uh, she she thought that Henry Fonda had done had committed the crime. <laughs> the first half of it, she's like, I bet he did it. That's why he's so against it. <laughs> I didn't really question her reasoning behind that, but it made me laugh. <laughs> so, do you have any final thoughts about Twelve Angry Men? Um. Well, go and see it basically anyone who hasn't seen it although we have just ruined it for you uh, <laughs> but it's still worth a watch just for the great performances on, on uh, it's a cast full of know the face actors if you if you watched anything made before 1975 you'd have seen at least two of these people in it probably and and even if you and even if you're you've seen later stuff you you'll probably recognize their voices like especially Piglet Piglet and Jack Warden yeah, or um, Jack Klugman as well, number five. He's been in quite a few things. Yeah. He's in Quincy, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, so it's just for the cast, for the performances. Yeah, I, I really wish I'd seen it on stage because uh, it might have been originally written for stage and it was on TV first and then film and then TV again. But it seems like something made to be on stage. And if it's ever shown near me, I'll go and see that too. It's, the script is so good and the performances. I can't, I can't big them up enough, really. Yeah, definitely go out and see it. Um, and it's not very long, so even if you don't like it, it's only an hour and a half. Yeah. 
All right, well, let's go ahead and take a quick break, and then when we come back, we will talk about the original Superman, which you have not seen before you watched it. (laughs) Right. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Check out the Blueprint Review podcast at blueprintreview.co.uk. This could be interesting yeah. because I know we've got some very diverse people. I'm going to be arguing with Darren a lot. Yeah, like, I think it's going to be me v you lot with I, Baby Law yeah. sat in the middle. Well, to be honest, I think it's about expectation. Yeah. Like, I think... Yeah, I expected it to be <laughs> Long before this summer's Man of Steel and arguably the first major superhero movie was 1978's Superman the Movie. The general plot is something we all know by now, especially having been refreshed by this summer's new Superman movie. Superman slash Clark Kent slash Kal-El is played by then-unknown Christopher Reeve, who's now still the most iconic Superman in most people's opinions, and he fights the genius villain Lex Luthor, played by Gene Hackman, and he goes through his plot to become a major landowner by creating a natural disaster. While there isn't a lot of fighting in this movie, it really manages to capture the feeling of wonder that Superman conveys using the tagline of the movie, You will believe a man can fly. And it's still, in most people's opinions, the best Superman movie that's out there. So, what did you think about Superman the movie? I'll agree that it's definitely the best Superman film that I've seen so far, and which I've got to compare it to is Man of Steel and Superman Returns. Um, neither of which I was particularly a fan of. Uh, I this film was great. Um, or or I'll, I'll change that. This film was very enjoyable. <laughs> I'll say it's. I've, I'm not the mass. I'm not a biggest fan of Superman. Uh, I watched some Smallville. I watched some uh, Adventures of Lois and Clark. That was the right kind of era of when I grew up. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the character, I'm not a big fan because he just seems too invulnerable to. Uh, have any real drama surrounding him like there's too he can do everything there's the the general rule is the only things he can't do are things he hasn't tried yet which because he he can do everything apart from see through lead that's not the only thing he can't do in the world yeah which to me is too much i need people with more flaws and the whole this could just be from not knowing the mythology enough i never read the comics i i hadn't seen the original films before so going into this i was kind of prepared not to like it um, just because it's, of the character is based around, <laughs> uh, I was I was pleasantly surprised because it didn't take itself too seriously. I mean, from from the introduction, you got uh, the the scene set on Krypton with Marlon Brando looking ridiculous. <laughs> it's it's just it's fun from the outset. His his like uh, whipped cream hairdo and his glowing light stick and his glowing clothes. It it's silly, but it's it's good silly. It's it's funny silly. Um, yeah, and every time I see that now, I I think of. The, the parody in Megamind. Yes. <laughs> yes, I had I haven't seen Megamind since then, but yes, you're right. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> uh, um, and I, uh, Brando's first build. This is Superman the movie, and, and Christopher Reeve's third build behind uh, uh, Gene Hackman, which I think he was more well, he was more of a star than Reeve was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Christopher Reeve was pretty much an unknown whenever this yeah. this film came out. And uh, let me ask you before we get too more into it, but 
aside from what you knew about the character and, and all that stuff, but what what did you know about this movie before you had seen it? Very little. Um, uh, pretty much what happened in the movie, the only thing that I knew was the ending, which is a terrible way to go into any film, especially when the ending is so ridiculous. <laughs> uh, um, that's That's the point that I can't, that's the point I really don't like about this film is how stupid the ending is. I, I can take a film being ridiculous and not taking it seriously, but when Superman starts spinning backwards around the world <laughs> to reverse time, that's where I draw the line because in a, in a world where a man can fly, he can't do that. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and I talked about the, uh, the Donner cut of Superman two in the first episode of this podcast and they actually reused that ending because there wasn't really much available and that that was my biggest complaint about that version of the movie and it it's still a sticking point here justifiably so i I don't know how they managed to sign off on that ending like what team of producers they were sat with when somebody (laughs) said and he spins around the world and it goes back in time and he saves lois uh, who said yes to that? I don't understand how that can happen in in a world. <sighs> no, <laughs> but up, up until that point, it's it's good. I mean, um, I, I actually watched this the day before I went to see Man of Steel, so I had a a very good comparison of the two, and this was far better in my opinion. I mean, the the effects are all or predominantly uh, practical effects, like it's yeah. big polystyrene boulders falling on people and. Um, he's clearly suspended on wires in the flying scenes and I really like that because it feels more real it looks more ropey it looks more silly but it feels like they're actually doing this and more time and work went into it and I'm a big fan of that yeah yeah and it, it's as I said before it doesn't take itself seriously there's moments of comedy here um, when he starts at the Daily Planet and, and Perry says like Clark may seem like just another mild-mannered reporter I had a nice little laugh about <laughs> and um and when Lois asks if there's any more at home like him, he says, no, there's not. Like, they really are. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And, and Gene Hackman, brilliant. I love Gene Hackman in anything. And he, he is previously Lex, Lex Luthor to me was Kevin Spacey or the, the bald kid from, um, from Smallville and uh, Michael Rosenbaum. Yes. Yeah. Him. And I, I wasn't a big fan of him and Kevin Spacey is, is good at being Kevin Spacey. So he did a decent job, but Gene Hackman, perfect. And Ned, Ned Beatty as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Otis. Yes. Mr. Luthor. <laughs> uh, yeah. I liked him. <laughs> yeah. He, he was definitely, he was a fun bit of comic relief in this movie. Yeah. He's fourth build. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> well, I'm going to stop going through the billing. <laughs> I could not believe that. He doesn't appear till like an hour and a half into the film or something. Superman himself doesn't appear till seventy minutes in. I know it's an origin story, but that that's a little while to wait, I think. Yeah, I think that's probably my biggest complaint about this movie, that it feels like it takes a long time to get started. Yeah, it's it's more kind of Clark Kent the movie or Kal El the movie than Superman the movie. Which which that was one thing that I did like about Man of Steel better. Um, I, I know we're, we're probably going to get into a lot of the comparisons between the two just because it had just came out last week as far as when we're recording this. And like you said, you watched him 
back to back two days yeah, in a row. Much. But that, like I said, that was that was one thing that I liked about Man of Steel better because even though they do spend a lot of time on Krypton, they do get some action beats in there. Yeah, which is fun. And then whenever they get to Earth, they they start off with Clark Kent as as an adult, and then they eventually get more of his origin story, his childhood story, done through flashbacks. And and I thought and I, I thought that was a good way to kind of jump into it, and then kind of bring about his childhood stuff as we go through the movie, instead of spending a lot of time with Clark Kent as a child and growing up before we finally get to him as an adult. Yeah, I think that's um, uh, Christopher Nolan's influence because he, as far as I can tell, he's never actually shot a, a displayed a film in sequence. <laughs> Everything he does is flashbacks here and flashbacks there. So I think that's a lot of him in there. And yeah, that is a very good way of doing it. Um, I mean, it's, it's like Iron Man. It's not shot and it's not shown in the same order. You see, see the it's well paced. That's, yeah, well well distributed. And what what did you think about Lois Lane, Margot Kidder? Uh, I didn't think that much of her, to be honest. <laughs> um, she her character's quite changeable. She's seen very uh, confident and independent at the start, which is what Lois Lane's supposed to be. Um, but once Superman comes in, she kind of devolves into this drippy, infatuated kind of teenage girl almost around him. The, the kind of interview they're supposed she's supposed to be having with him. She's basically just trying to find out how big his penis is <laughs> the entirety of that which <laughs> yes it's the first time she's coming to she's been able to talk to this alien creature from another planet who she's in love with but it just didn't kind of hit right with me um yeah that was wasn't her biggest fan and but was is she the same uh lois throughout the all four of the original superman films margot yeah. kidder oh, okay. yeah Pretty much all all the cast um, is the same throughout the first four Superman movies, except uh, they use a different villain besides Gene Hackman in the third one. Okay, but it's okay. not it's not Lex Luthor; it's somebody else playing a Lex Luthor like villain. Okay, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I, I my uh, stapled Lois Lane is. Um, her name has gone out of my head. Terry Hatcher. She yes. she's the one I, I kind of came across first, and so she's what I compare it to. And I think she was very good at it. But then she was kind of given equal. She was in the title of the TV show, so she was yeah. given e- equal time to Superman. So that could be why. She, like uh, Margot Kidder isn't in this film an awful lot. Yeah, I I, I grew up watching um, Lois and Clark. That that was probably my biggest influence. I watched it whenever it first came out on TV. I I would catch it every single week. I've later I, I now have all four seasons on DVD, and I've gone back and watched them. And while the the last season definitely gets kind of shaky and a little too goofy, I still really like it. I, I like Dean Kane as Superman and Terry Hatcher as Lois. It's, it's the first two seasons, especially where they're building their relationship and kind of the sexual tension in there, is really spot on. Yeah, um, I, I, I preferred the Perry White from that series as well. Yeah, a bit, a bit more of a character, a bit more fun. But you mentioned um, uh, Dean Kane. I, I think Christopher Reeve is uh, spot on 
uh, casting as Superman. He uh, he was perfect to me. His little the look of of joy and glee on his face when he's flying for the first time. <laughs> that that is the moment that's like, yep, yeah, you're Superman. You've got it. That that bit right there. And his and his jawline is intimidating. Uh, his chin. <laughs> and he also has a a great Clark Kent. Yes, very good. Yeah, um, the the kind of the bumbling around. Yeah, that's that's where I think when Brandon Ruth picks up Superman Returns, which I'm not going to talk too much about because I I really don't like that film, but he <laughs> did really sell it to me at all. Yeah, I I think that's that's kind of the the best way to sell the difference between Superman and Clark Kent besides the glasses. It, it really does feel like two completely different characters. Yeah, definitely. Sure. Completely agree. Um, now, the, the one part of the film that I'm semi on board with, I, I really like it, but I also think that's insane, is near the start when they're on Krypton and they banish uh, Zod into that flying flat disc thing. What on earth is that? Well, what on Krypton is that? <laughs> so I, I've seen that in an episode of Family Guy. <laughs> where... Like, uh, the, the lowest in that is beating up loads of people and she be- beats up some uh, some Kryptonians and sends them off in that. And I, I'd kind of seen that and go, huh, that's from Star Trek or something, surely. But And then it came up in this and I was just kind of blown away by what what is that? I don't... What the hell just happened? And then it's never referenced again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, like in Man of Steel, that's that's this movie's representation of the Phantom Zone. Okay. I, okay, right. Yeah, as I'm not that initiated in the whole mythology, um, uh, yeah, I, I'm not... I, I don't know the backstory. Like, the, the Fortress of Solitude, is it? That didn't have much of a, uh explanation here either. It just kind of appeared from crystals, which I, I, yeah. didn't, quite, I didn't quite get that. But. Yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff for it. It... It's things where if you're, if you know a lot about Superman, you kind of take it for granted. Like the Phantom Zone is this uh, extra-dimensional zone where people don't age, I believe, and it's supposed to be like kind of a, a living hell. Okay, yeah, because as soon as they're in it, they're screaming to get out again. Right. And uh, one one other scene that I'm on two sides of it because on one hand it is one of the great scenes in the movie, but on the other hand it has a section towards the end which really throws me out of it, and, and that is the first flying scene with Lois Lane. Um, which, the, when he catches her, or when they go on on the date. When when they go on the date, or like right okay. after the interview, <laughs> when he drops her, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought that was, I mean that that is kind of silly. It's like she, it, it's an interesting way for them to explain his flying ability. Yeah. If you if you kind of look at it too closely, because it's like it seems like as long as she's touching him, she's flying too. Because there's the part where they're just holding on by fingertips, and then and, then, and she's still yeah. flying, and then they go a little bit too far, and as soon as they they loo- break their touch, then she starts falling. Yes, that that you'd think he would he would know that, <laughs> uh, and 
Maybe he was just trying to show he wanted to save her again. Maybe I don't know. It's some kind of weird Freudian relationship where he must keep saving her over and over again. But yeah, that that just seemed a bit odd that he he would put her through that on essentially their first date. But the the part that really lost me is whenever you start hearing her voice, like that, like, uh, or you start hearing her thoughts. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, well, were they trying to show it from her perspective as well? Like, this is kind of her film. She's an integral part of of his of the film too, because it it shouldn't be the case. It's his film, and uh, not not to be uh, misogynistic. I don't care what she's thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not really sure what they were thinking about that. It's I guess just so you can see her side, her perspective. But it it's just it's so different in my opinion to to what the rest of the movie has been doing it kind of throws throws me out of the movie okay i can see that yeah and what actually took me out of the movie john ratzenberger is in this film (laughs) (laughs) he's like first controller he's got two lines or something and he just appeared on the screen he's like oh my god that's cliff cliff is in superman i love this film all right or it's like maybe maybe this is a Pixar Pixar movie. <laughs> That's their good luck charm. It's the, it's the prequel to The Incredibles. Yeah, just throw John Ratzenberger in for a cameo. Yeah, I had to pause the film. I was like, wait, I must check this on IMDb first. Is that really him? Yes, it's him. Okay, <laughs> continue. Proceed. <laughs> and then, um, what did you think about the the kryptonite scene? Well, yeah, they need to have kryptonite in there somewhere, and because that's the only thing that makes him weakness, that makes him weak, and it's his greatest foe is kryptonite kind of thing. And so I'm happy that it was in there. That's fine. But yeah, he did he did all right, I suppose. Um, I hadn't really given it much thought to be honest. It, it was just there. I was waiting for kryptonite to appear. Kryptonite <laughs> appeared. He overcame it. Fine. <laughs> that's that's what Superman does, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. What, what did you think about it? What were you trying to pick up on? Um. I don't know, it was just interesting, and and I uh, also liked there was the the little assist with Lex Luthor's assistant. Um, well, the scene where they worked out what, yeah, the scene they worked out that Kryptonite would be his weakness. That's the scene I hated, um, where they kind of decided that oh, Kryptonite is from his home planet, therefore it will kill him. <laughs> it will make him. Weak. That's the scene that just. Yeah, you mentioned took you out of it uh, with with um, Lois Lane's thoughts. That's the scene where I went, no, hang on. Uh, Lex Luthor is supposed to be intelligent, but he can't just make stuff up and it be true. <laughs> that because by that logic, we're allergic to stone. And, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, but it, if it's it's in the mythology, so fine. I just would like them to explain it a little bit better, or yeah, to have a bit more proof to their reasoning, not just jump wildly to conclusions that are impossible. Yeah, although I I did going back to Man of Steel, I, I did kind of like that there wasn't any kryptonite. There was just the hint of it, like whenever he was on the ship and he just wasn't used to kryptonite's ab- or Krypton's atmosphere. Yeah, so that was that was good. I I liked that too. Um, yeah, the, the the Man of Steel they seem to be distancing themselves from uh, the the general mythology quite a lot in that you know Lois knows his identity. And they had barely got the Daily Planet in, in the film, which is good because the whole 
they're trying to make it more real and more plausible with with the Man of Steel, the Zack Snyder films, and um, so my, I've always thought, well, he it isn't really plausible that he would work at, at Daily Planet because he doesn't really he doesn't really need an alter ego if you think about it. I mean, they, they try to explain it as saying, well, that it will save the people closest to him, but if he has no one close to him, then he doesn't need to have an alter ego. That would make more sense. He would just well, and, and also, Marlon Brando has a line in this that um, that he that way he doesn't have to be Superman 28 hours a day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that line. That was good. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he could... It would make more sense for him to have a really low-profile job, or just no job at all. Fine, have an alter ego, but so to me, it just didn't make sense that he would need to have a job. And I was kind of happy that they hadn't included the Daily Planet until that last scene when they brought it in, and it kind of made me think, oh, they did it. I'm disappointed. But you need to have it. I understand that you need to have it for the people that are fans. If there was no Clark Kent and if there was no Daily Planet, there would be uproar. So, yeah, another another movie, another Superman movie that I watched recently was uh, the animated straight to DVD uh, Superman Batman Apocalypse, which is a really fun movie, and it, it quickly became one of my favorites. And it has a lot of humor in it. Like, there's one point where uh, Supergirl, uh, she, it's about it's basically a Supergirl movie, but she comes to Earth for the first time, and Batman captures her with kryptonite, and then whenever she wakes up, she destroys his computer, and then Superman comes by, and Batman's like, she just destroyed a $50 million computer, and then Superman says, send me the bill, (laughs) and Batman says, on a reporter's salary? (laughs) That's good. And it's got a lot of smart humor like that that I really loved. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. I like that. But the the next Superman film I'm looking forward to is the Lego movie, personally. Yeah, I I just <laughs> I just saw the trailer for that a couple of days ago and I'm really I I really like how uh, I'm not sure if it's see like it it doesn't look quite it has a stop motion feel to it, but it feels like it's CGI that's supposed to look like stop motion. There's some bits of it that couldn't be stop motion. There's a bit where a, a character takes a hood off, which if you're doing that with Lego, is I'm fairly sure impossible. <laughs> um, but I, I like to think that it is stop motion because I really do love stop motion films. So like the Wallace and Gromit films, I love them. But if they haven't done it and they're just mimicking the style, that's okay too, as long as they've done it well. And the trailer looks pretty awesome. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, so am I. And I hear that Channing Tatum could be voicing Superman, which is interesting. <laughs> I hadn't heard that. I, I mean, I in the trailer they have. Uh, at, at first, I thought it was actually. Um, I'm blanking on his name, but he he voiced Batman in The Brave and the Bold. Right. And uh, uh, I know him. I know him best from uh, the Oswald in the Drew Carey show. Okay, I don't know either of those things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But but, he's, um, he's kind of a, a goofy, comedic character. Okay, and I right. thought that's who was voicing it, but it, it turns out that it was Will Arnett. That's Batman, yeah. Yeah, it was brilliant. I love that. Um, yeah. I only work in black and really, really <laughs> dark grey. <laughs> 
yes, I'm a big Lego fan, so making a film out of it so much the better. Yeah, me too. Another another superhero movie I watched. Uh, it's been a couple months now, but the uh, the recent Lego Batman. Uh, I've played the games, but I haven't seen the films. Well, it's it's pretty much what they did was they just took the all the cutscenes from Lego Batman Two and added some filler animation, and I, I think they also cleaned up some of the other animation a bit too, and turned that into a, a movie. Okay, that sounds fairly easy to do. Half the work's <laughs> been done for you. <laughs> but it's it's really fun too. Okay, I'll, I'll give that a watch. All right, let's see. Is, is there anything else that you wanted to mention about going back to the movie that we're supposed to be talking about? <laughs> <laughs> the Christopher Reeves Superman movie. Oh, well, I'm very glad to have seen it, uh, not just because it's on one of my lists I need to watch anyway, so that kind of worked uh, doubly well for me, but I'm, I'm very glad to have seen it because I've now seen a Superman film that I actually enjoyed, um, which is, is good, I'd say. And yeah, it's. I think that uh, Zack Snyder needs to go back and watch this film before he does this, if there's a sequel to Man of Steel to try and get a bit more fun into it because that's exactly what Super, Superman should be. Yeah, I, I, although I, I did I did I do feel like there is fun in Man of Steel but it's more more kind of low-key and maybe uh, less noticeable fun because I, I just read something that talks about some easter eggs in superman and they also have some quotes from Zack snyder and there's one mention where it's like a background gag which i caught but i guess a lot of people didn't but and one of the fight scenes superman gets knocked against a billboard that says 106 days without an accident (laughs) and then whenever he hits it the numbers knock off and then it goes to zero Okay, that's quite good. I, I missed that too. Uh, I, I, well, if it was in the final fight with Zod, then I was getting bored by that point because I'd, I'd seen <laughs> far too many of scenes of two Kryptonians. Is that the right word? Is it Kryptonian? Is it? Yeah. Okay, two two Kryptonians just hitting each other and no effect happening, and going <laughs> through buildings and no effect happening, and just punch, punch, punch. Nothing. I was getting quite. I was just waiting for the film to finish by that point. So if I if I missed a few little uh, in jokes, then I, I'm not going to blame myself. <laughs> uh, I suppose it would have been nicer. That I mean, because it, it's stuff that they do in the cartoons a lot is to actually show some battle damage. Yeah, but well, I imagine it, since because of the rating, it's just PG-13 that they had to veer away from any sort of blood. That's fair enough. Yeah. Well, they could have made it a different color because they're aliens. I mean, I'm sure if it was like blue or bright green or something, it would have been would have passed the uh, the ratings a bit bit more easily. Yeah, I know that's that's kind of the the cop out that that's usually used in sci-fi movies. Yeah, it's not Which... blood; it's just slime. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've uh, gone off track enough. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's I, I I don't get off track enough. It, it's nice to just go on tangents once in a while, at least. Yeah, especially when they're about Lego. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, why don't you go ahead and remind everybody where they can find you online? 
Yeah, I'm at lifeversusfilm.com. You can follow me on Twitter at lifeversusfilm. That's L-I-F-E-V-S-F-I-L-M. And I post, I try to post two or three times a week, sometimes more, generally less. And I am Bubba Wheat, once again. You can find me, as always, at flightstightsandmovienights.com. You can find me on Twitter at Bubba Wheat. And I have a Facebook page at Flights, Tights, and Movie Nights. And you can listen to this on Podomatic. You can also find it on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And if you would like to know what movies we'll, we'll be talking about next week, where my guest will be Joe Giuliano from Two Dude Review, go ahead and listen through to the end where I have a mashup trailer of the two movies that we'll be talking about. Until next time. Night after night, I watch over this city. But now someone stands in the shadows who knows my every move before I make it. To live in? It's a waste of life! Stalking me. I'll bring down so they don't wipe me in! It ends tonight. Who do you work for? You became a labor here! You cheap, staggering little sharks! Wish me luck, I'm gonna need it. Good luck.